Welcome to Revealed in Ephesians, the mystery of who I am in Christ. My name is Brianna. I am your host and author today. I am so thankful that you are listening to this podcast. There are also video resources available on my website, briannaandi.com. And if you're listening to this on my website, you can actually go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and add that app. And as I add these um, podcasts, you'll get notifications. You can add that podcast app to your phone. And then you can get these when they come through instead of having to go to the website. Also, we have YouTube videos. If you are a Bible study leader um, or if you'd like to start this Bible study with a group, um, feel free to email me at briannanye.com. And you can ask me for resources. I can send you a leader's guide um, and direct you towards the um, resources we have for leaders. Um, also, I bring my team and we speak and we have a women's worship band and we go around um, to different churches in different states and um, do ministry there weekends or evenings. So I wanted to throw that out there. So as we're doing week six, day four, um, this is really, I mean, sorry, week six, day five. <laughs> um, th- week six, day five is entitled Christ is Victorious Over Our Captors of Sin and Death. Um, but I want to go back a little bit. I want to backtrack into um, week six, day four, because there's some important things to know about um, when we are talking about unity in relationships of the body of Christ. Um, it says, we're going to start with Ephesians 4. Um, verse four or verse three, I'm sorry, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So let's look at this verse, make every effort to keep the unity. That means, first of all, when I see it, the fact that we need to make a spiritual effort, um, an intentional effort to keep unity, it means that there may be, not surprisingly, disunity that tries to sneak in, probably because there's different opinions and different personalities. And quite frankly, Jesus saves broken people and broken people and hurt people sometimes can hurt other people with their junk. And even people that are healthy believers can step on other people's toes. So that's where we have to respond in patience and humility and love. But here's another facet to it. He says, we are one body in the spirit. There's not a bunch of different bodies. Now, there's a lot of different church buildings and denominations that have differences on some peripheral issues um, that, you know, how they like to worship God. Some churches like a more formal liturgical type of worship. Other churches like a more free worship where you're clapping your hands. Those kinds of issues are not issues that separate people and or should separate us. We should still be unified in Christ. Um, The way we worship, 
uh, should not separate us spiritually. We shouldn't be judging other people and other churches and like, well, that church's worship just isn't the way I like it. We shouldn't be putting down other people's churches because they worship differently than us. But there are some specifications here in scripture. It says, we're called to one hope. There are not many different ways to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus, when he says this, he's either telling the truth or he's a liar. I mean, he <laughs> he's saying, I'm willing to bet my life on it that I am the only way. And when he asked the Father in the garden of Gethsemane, um, on Monday, Thursday, uh, or Friday, it was in the in the nighttime between those two days. He said, "If there is any other way that I that that your will can be done, that pe- these people can be saved, please do it. <laughs> Take this cup from me. I don't want to be tortured, but not my will, but yours be done." So, do you think that a good God, if there was any other way? for mankind to be saved would be like, eh, I just feel like watching you get tortured today, Jesus, just for kicks. No, that's not a good father. Our father is a good father. There was no other way. Why? Because death had to be conquered. And the only way that death could be conquered in us and sin is could be conquered in us is if a perfect sacrifice was made. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, 100% God, 100% man, spilled his blood and took our punishment and took our death on his body. And he overcame death. It says here, um, let me just read this. I'm going to keep reading. Um, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it, it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives and gave gifts to his people. We're going to go into this more in another week. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So here, Jesus took captivity captive. He took our death captive. He set us free from our captivity and sin. And there is no other way except faith in his blood, sacrifice, death, and resurrection, believing, as it says in the word of God, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This is Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth, or it is with your heart, you can. it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you confess and are saved. So when we confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we are saved when we truly put our faith in him. But we have something happening and it's not surprising because it's prophesied in many books in the New Testament. In Matthew, Jesus said that when his disciples asked him, what is going to happen? What is What are the signs of your return? Um, they knew that he was going to leave, and they said, what are the signs of your coming um, in the end? And he said that none of these things would happen, that he could not return, except that there was a great apostasy first. 
and he prophesied that there would be a great apostasy. What is apostasy? A turning away, a turning away from truth, a turning away from those core beliefs in faith in Christ. You have churches now, brick and mortar buildings. These are these are churches that housed the Great Awakening. These are churches that saw miracles and, and have done good work for the Lord and His kingdom. But now that there are new people in charge of some of these organizations now of men, and they are saying, it doesn't matter um, if you believe in Jesus or not. Everybody, any background can go to heaven. Well, I hate to tell you, but a lot of backgrounds don't even believe in heaven. Atheists don't believe in heaven. Buddhists don't believe in heaven. Hindus don't believe in heaven. There are many, many different versions. And for for example, Mormons don't even believe in heaven the way that Christians believe in it in scripture. So you have to say, how can these two, how can not two, how can all of these be correct? They cannot be correct. So does God want us to be militant against people who don't believe what we believe? No. The answer is zero, no, nada. He doesn't want us to be militant. He still wants us to be peaceful. He still wants us to be humble. He still wants us to be patient. He wants us to be loving towards people that believe differently. Why? Because he cares for everyone. God doesn't want anyone to perish, and he wants us to share the truth of Christ with people. But does that mean that we pretend that it's that what they believe is spiritually correct? That's intellectually dishonest. In fact, one of my favorite books, um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi. Now, he has passed away, but is a fantastic, fantastic, gut-wrenching book that talks about Nabil's journey from a devout, peace-loving Muslim family. A very peaceful, I mean, this family is so committed to the Quran and so committed to serving Allah in their own Muslim way that it makes most Christians look irreverent and dishonoring to God and to Jesus. So when you read that book, first of all, you're going to feel extremely convicted. Secondly, one of the things he noticed is he didn't believe Christianity was true because he said, it doesn't seem like Christians believe it's true. He didn't believe that anybody, first of all, knew how to defend their faith, and none of them cared if he was going to hell. And he said, I know what the Christian beliefs are, and I know that people who are Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he said, so if they actually believe I'm going to hell, why don't they care, is one of the things he said. Why don't Christians care that people separated from God for all eternity would be in hell. He said, it's it's intellectually dishonest and it's not loving if you actually believe in Jesus to say it's okay to teach there are many ways. In fact, it actually smacks in the face of everything that Jesus teaches and everything he gave his life for and everything that he has been raised up for. And so um, you are going to see this. Um, you'll see this playing out in churches right now in America where there are churches where you have 
half of the, the denomination believes one thing and the other half believes something unscriptural. Some One half will believe scripture, the other half will believe something completely unscriptural, and you see a conflict. Is that wrong? Is that conflict wrong? No, that conflict is not wrong because it's not wrong for Christians to say, all right, I'm sorry, this is not biblical and this is not at all what Jesus wants. Now, should they be evil? Should they be wicked towards one another? Should they call names? Absolutely not. No, they should not. And still, in conflict, um, you still should have a peace-loving approach and not be name-calling and slandering. Let's take this down a notch into a personal relationship. So if you have a a spouse that's an alcoholic, does that mean you just enable that alcoholic to be um, in their lifestyle? No, that doesn't mean you enable them, um, but you can relate to somebody um, in your family or someone you know who is an alcoholic in a peace-loving way without enabling them. And there are many different ways to do that and have um, a loving attitude towards the person um, without hating, not hating the person. God does not hate the person, if that makes sense. And so when you come to these issues, um, (laughs) when you come to these issues, if it disagrees with this statement, if there's a church that disagrees, there is one body, one spirit. So one body of Christ, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, um, you need to be concerned when people stop believing these core beliefs of Christianity and say they're a church. It's not the church is the ecclesia in the Greek, the um, the body of Christ all over the world, whether it's just in one building. Um, it doesn't matter what building you're in. It doesn't matter what denomination title is over top of the church. As long as they believe in Jesus Christ, in these core beliefs, and they believe in God's word, um, they are part of the ecclesia. As long as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, um, sealed with the Holy Spirit, that is a sign. Um, that is a sign that those people love God. So we do need to protect the faith. We do need to be a defender of the faith. So when we talk about unity in the body, um, unity in the body does not mean ignoring error or heresy, but it does mean communicating with love and um, not rejecting people as outcasts if um, they disagree with you. Now, there is a time and a place given in Scripture for example, if if someone is, um, like if there's a pastor that is um, caught in adultery, um, yes, they should be removed from their pulpit. Um, you cannot lead a church um, in righteousness if you're walking in adultery, and that's clear in Scripture. That protects the unity of the body. If you allow that pastor to continue in his pastorate in adultery, um, then you actually destroy the body because you are subjecting the body to spiritual dysfunction and lies. And um, and it's really harmful to have somebody like that in that kind of position. In fact, there are many, sadly, there are churches who I have seen on the news have um, protected pastors or youth pastors or priests that have done very sinful, heinous crimes um, against young children or people, 
and they protect that person because they're afraid of their name being slandered or maybe they're giving, dropping, or peeping, people leaving their church. That is a horrible, um, that, that is not of God at all. Those people who have committed sexual sin and have abused people absolutely need to be removed. And I believe I believe they need to be removed from their position of authority and then one-on-one treated with love and restored, not necessarily to their position of authority, but restored with love to th- in their relationship with Christ. A lot of times we look at this, um, that kind of thing, if a pastor commits adultery and we just slander him and, and yes, he needs removed immediately, it does not need to be like treated like it's not a big deal, but he needs to be um, challenged on his sin and he needs to have an opportunity to repent. And uh, I think the best ways for that to happen is if he is, um, his privacy is protected, his family is protected. We've recently seen a famous blogger, Lisa Turkist, whose husband, um, she had, um, her husband had left her, but then they were reunified and healed. Their marriage was healed. So God can heal marriages even in the face of adultery, um, but it needs to be done in love. So you see that you can have um, peace and unity, but sometimes there's a time where there's walking through, um, there's walking through biblical discipline and there's walking through biblical standards and that protects the whole entire body. So I know this has been a little longer today, but I wanted to really explain this um, because it's extremely important to understand that unity and peace does not mean singing kumbaya and pretending there's no differences. Um, it means unity and peace in Christ, in the church, um, and holding people accountable in love, in love. Now, if somebody refuses to be held accountable, you can't force them to be held accountable, but you definitely can keep them from being in a position of authority over people. Like you can definitely keep the sex offenders out of the church. (laughs) You can definitely keep them out of the pulpit or the priesthood. And um, if they refuse to get help and they refuse to repent, you definitely do not allow them back around your congregation and near anybody that needs um, protected. So I'm going to leave that there, and um, I hope that you have a blessed day, and next week we're going to be getting more into the body of Christ and relationships and what it all looks like, um, the way the beautiful bride of Christ that Jesus died for and rose again to give us power and unity. So have a blessed week, a blessed weekend, and we'll see you next week. 